Hey, Sisu Squad. Welcome to It's All in My Head, a podcast about people and their relationships with mental health. I'm your host, Joel Kaskinen. Before we begin, I want to share a content warning. It's All in My Head references mature themes, including suicide, sex, drugs, and alcohol, and contains language that may not be appropriate for all listeners. Discretion is advised. squad it has been so freaking long and i've missed you and i'm so sorry that i have let you go for like a month and a half with no new content and no new episodes but um yeah hi it's me your long lost stranger um of a podcast host joel and um this is all it's it's all in my head and um we're here and we're ready to record and after my much-needed hiatus uh, due to some depression and mental health stuff and just honestly being way too overwhelmed with my life, um, I'm back and I'm ready. And um, yeah, we are recording in studio with my one of my oldest friends, actually. We've known each other for like ever. Um, Chase Gray is on the show. So welcome, Chase. Thanks for having me. And yes, I did the math and it's like 18 years. I can't. So, That's so long. A whole last adult we've known each other. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, our relationship is our baby. It's 18 now. We're, it's flying. It's fleeing the nest and it's now an adult. I love it. It's about <laughs> we're, we're We're honestly the best parents that I, I could think of to raise a child. I mean, you really can't, yeah, you can't, you can't find better, can you? <laughs> the world's not ready. The mouth on that child, though. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> you see the, the mouth on a child. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A child of Joel and Chase would be a mouthy motherfucker. <laughs> Speaking truth to power. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Um, okay, so Chase, let's get into it. Um, share a little bit about yourself and who you are and um, a little bit of like how you know me and then I will kind of steer us into the direction of the podcast questions. Perfect, yeah, totally. Well, hi, listeners of It's All In My Head. My name is Chase Gray. I grew up- They're called the Sissy Squad if you wanna give them a nickname. Oh. You're right, you're right, Sister Squad. Hello, and I know this as listener of the pod. I'm not nervous. <laughs> My name is Chase Gray. I'm just teasing. <laughs> I grew up in the same county as Joel. We went to school together. And I am an actor, I'm a singer and dancer, a triple threat that went on to go to school for musical the theater. Holy Trinity, baby. <laughs> yes, hallelujah. Um, I, 
I went to school for musical theater and then worked at some professional theaters and then proceeded to move to New York City. Um, I'm, I'm one of the ones that moved away, like Joel. So one I lived in New York City. Moved away. <laughs> I lived there for a few years, um, really up until Corona hit, the pandemic, and just life went to shit for millions of people, and I was, I was one of them. Um, so I moved back home to Michigan for lockdown, moved back to New York for a while, and then went through some mental health struggles, and I'm currently relocated back in Michigan. Um, that's the Sparknotes version, but yeah, like, I know Joel from childhood, um, we were often in the same classes, uh, kind of accelerated path academically, um, where Joel kind of veered off and did sports, I was more of the artsy one. Um, I, well, band as well, but, uh, I was like the choir kid. I did all the plays, but I also played football. Don't forget. I was starting center. <laughs> um, so, so well balanced, well balanced, a little bit of everything. Um, but yeah, we ran in the same circles in some aspects. Um, but at the same time we did it. Would you agree? I would agree. Yeah. Yeah, but then we reconnected later in life in adulthood, um, bonded over having left Benzie County and having shared life experiences and having grown and met new people and changing our worldviews, which is something that I know both of us really craved um, and missed living in such a small town. Uh, so getting away and going to school and meeting new people, like I said, um, really brought us, I think, together. And now we're here talking about Absolutely. mental health. Which now is, we're here talking about good old mental health. Which is which is so crucial and something that like doesn't happen where we come from. Oh, um, yeah. Which I'm sure we'll get into, but steer us, Joel, steer us. Okay. Um, I love your intro. You nailed it. Uh, I also love that you came prepared with math and you could tell everyone that we have known each other for 18 years. That is... God, we're old. Um, anywho, yeah, we've known each other way too long, and I love that we have reconnected, and it's all great fun. Um, but let's dive right in, and Chase, tell us, what is your relationship with mental health, and where are you at in your journey today? My journey with mental health has been long and storied and ever-evolving, like I think it is for all of us. Um, I, I feel like we need a little more backstory just as far as growing up um, in our town. Listeners, Sisu Squad, um, I am one of the few people of color that <laughs> comes from Benzie County. I am mixed, I am queer, and some of those monikers, and I struggle with mental health. So some of those monikers have always othered me where we come from, um, so I kind of struggled with my mental health at an early age, feeling ostracized. Um, not to, not that I was ever, um, one to be a complete victim of circumstance. I actually grew up, I'm, I'm a performer and I, I grew up in the church. Um, and that's the first place that like I, I sang at two years old. I was in the Christmas pageant and that lit my love of singing, like the support from the community. But I just, I will say that at a very early age, I also knew that I was different growing up in Benzie County. 
And I think that really informs my journey with mental health. So I wanted to say that. Set the scene, if you will. The scene <laughs> is set. Um, can I interject and ask a quick question? Um, I love that you brought into the conversation um, the notion that mental health is not talked about where we came from. What was your earliest kind of understanding of mental health? Um, and like when you say that you felt othered and it contributed to your own like mental challenges, when did you start to notice that? So that's a really funny question. And I think that, not, well, it's not funny, but like, it's funny to me because I think that right now I can give you my answer. Like there's, there's my answer now and there's baby Chase's answer, right? So like, sure. so, so looking back, um, my first discussions with mental health started at a younger age. Um, I would say high school, like freshman year or so. Um, but I didn't have the words or tools to discuss or really process it. Like, I knew we had a school counselor, but I figured that was just for people that like really experienced trauma as in like someone dying or like, like I, I never would have thought like for my distress, like I'm going to, to get help. I don't even think that, did she operate as a counselor? I thought, I only knew her as like the guidance counselor, the person that like gave support to like you need help with testing and you need whatever. I don't know. I really could be giving the school too much credit because I know that some schools do have licensed therapists to work with. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't know of anyone because men, where we came from, mental health was so not talked about. I don't right. know that anyone utilized her for that. I don't know if she was trained. She probably was. I don't know. I truly have no clue. That's why I'm asking. And, and to your point, because, like, I also don't fully know, like, in my family to this day, like, a, like they call a therapist a counselor. Like, in my mind, those are separate things. Like, like school, like a school counselor that's just counseling you in your journey versus a therapist. Like, I use the word therapist. Maybe they can be used Well, I mean, they're interchangeable, but, like, people yeah. go to school and get degrees and training and certificates and licenses to do very different things like there is a school counselor license and there is a mental health clinical counseling license you know Facts. well i'm look i'm looking it up because if if we aren't getting mental health services at benzie county schools it's about time it's 2020 um correct and <laughs> i don't know that we are um Anyway, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I, I'm curious about this, especially with people that I have known from childhood when their first like kind of memories or experiences were. And because, and the reason I ask is because I know this was not a topic that was discussed and this was not something that was ever like normalized or, you know, I had no understanding. I had no words or language to process it, and I definitely struggled with anxiety, depression, etc. Um, but I didn't have words or language, and no one else around me, no one, and my family wasn't talking about it. My friends weren't talking about it. So, you know, I just I I'm always curious when my my guests um, first kind of 
learned about mental health and what it meant to them and what their experiences were like. And I guess boiling down to brass tacks, I agree with you. I was experiencing mental health issues in high school without the words to address it, really, in a successful way. So really, those first conversations were happening in college with my peers there. Same. Um, not necessarily with family. I grew up with a very supportive family um, through my coming out process, through lots of phases in my life. Um, I've been very lucky, and they've been extremely supportive um, of my art, of all the things, um, even if they don't always understand me. Um, but mental health isn't something that was a conversation in our household um, or around the dinner table at mm-hmm. family events. Um, I would say not even necessarily because of stigma, but the the generation the boomer generation <laughs> not to not to generalize too much folks but uh they like they didn't learn about therapy they didn't they didn't talk as openly as we do now which is what oh, i love about no. our generation like the evolution of having these discussions and really i think saving lives because of being so transparent um with our trials and tribulations and successes and just like our humanity because that's what we're talking about today. Like, I am all about destigmatizing talking about mental health, um, which is why, like, I love this podcast. And I think you're doing such, such important work, Joel. I mean, why I wanted to be a part of this is yeah. it's because now we have the power to change hearts, minds, shift paradigms, and, like, really start conversations surrounding mental health and bringing it out of the shadows. Because one of my favorite quotes um, that's really stuck with me since you and I last even chatted is that I believe shame is a silencer. Um, That really resonates with me. So, like, I'm all about um, dispersing that shame and finding community and love and light and all of the good things. So let's keep doing that, right? Let's keep doing that. Oh, my God. I love it. Um, I am obsessed with you and spreading light and positivity. And I just think you're so right. Shame is a silencer. And it's really sad that generations before us couldn't talk about these things. And it's really sad that even still to this day in America, shame and stigma run rampant, whether it's relating to mental health or to queer identities or to literally so many things like your class status, your socioeconomic, your, I mean, disabilities. Like, I mean, there's still so much shame and stigma surrounding so much in our world. And for whatever reason, America, the greatest country on earth, whatever bullshit that is, um, is still silencing so many people and shaming so many people, which ultimately, in my personal opinion, is contributing to further mental health challenges. And then, like, our lawmakers refuse to acknowledge, like, they acknowledge mental health, but then they refuse to fund it and provide resources and support for it. So then it's like, okay, we have all of these issues, and supposedly these issues are because we have all of these mentally ill people. Okay, 
If that's the case, fucking put your money where your mouth is, bitch, and pay and fight and write bills and laws to put some mental health resources and support in place so that way we don't have these issues. Absolutely. Like, I Sorry, I got that. derailed there for a minute. I just went on a full-on soapbox tangent. <laughs> tangent away. Because people need to hear it. And like I think of people, literally people like us, Joel, that were ostracized at certain points in our lives, right? And did feel, like, othered. And, like, it only takes so much, like, such a lack of support or communication. It only takes a couple of those butterfly effects to, like, be that troubled person that hurts themselves or someone else. Like, it's not, we're not infallible. And, like, that's what I think about. And, like, I have so much empathy for people that struggle with mental illness. I'm Um. one of those people. And, like, like, the stigma is so heavy still. We've come such a long way. The fact that there's a podcast right now where we can talk openly is like huge. That wasn't. I mean, I'm just one of the millions of mental health podcasts out there. That's what I'm saying. Like, like, mine's just a a little baby angel child in its infancy, like, show. There are like mental health podcasts that are like, I mean, doing such positive and important work. And I'm, I mean, I'm just lowly little me. Well, that is very, that's very humble of you. I, I like, I lift, I lift you up because, yes, in, like, the ether, every, everyone that's doing this kind of work, I think, is so important. But, like, we literally, not to date ourselves too much here, but, like, there was a world without the internet or, like, the connectivity True. to, like, <laughs> to have this. Like, we were on AIM, like, on AOL chatting. About AIM! So, so, truly, like... It's a new development, and it's so exciting to me because the stigma is still heavy, and we have a ways to go, but, like, it lights me up, especially if someone that has diagnoses now that I'm living with. Like, I've found communities online and through podcasts mm-hmm. and through specialists um, and, have like, just the internet in general, huge fan, because at a very early age, I was unpacking elements of my identity, my sexuality, my ties to black culture, um, all of that, I was I was really like instilling online, being the kid up at 3 a.m. on YouTube, finding people that I identified with and finding community um, through Reddit threads and stuff. And like that sounds a little corny. Did Reddit like, exist back then? Well, maybe not early on. That Reddit was more of a college development for me. Okay. Okay. Um, I was like, like, I don't like, think Reddit existed, but maybe I'm just naive. Yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't that edgy. That that was um, Reddit's its own beast. I'm still even. I still don't like, understand Reddit fully. Yeah, same. Truly, I'll like I'm like I look for what I'm trying to search, and okay, now I'm just sounding old and like a dinosaur. I digress. Um, but the internet, just as a resource, has been so crucial for me. Um, in molding my identity, finding power in my differences, and finding that sense of community. And that's something that, like, I'm always chasing. Um, It's something that I'm personally struggling with, actually, um, just being back in a smaller town after living in New York City, is building a peer group. Um, I feel so empowered 
and emboldened when I'm surrounded by like-minded people um, within our generation or or just people that share same life similar life experience, right? Like I'm not ageist. If you're 50 and cool, let's hang out and talk about life. Um, I have so much to I've like learned so much from people of all ages, honestly. Yeah. Um, oh, I have some of my dear friends are like old. <laughs> I, like age to me is just it's literally nothing. Facts. One of my closest friends is like here in Sioux, in Sioux Falls anyway. Yeah. Is my little brother's age, so like ten years younger than me. And she's, like, one of my dearest friends. And then I also have friends who are, like, 45 and 50. And then one of my closest friends in the entire world, someone that I met and worked with when I was living in Colorado, I think she's 60 now. Her husband's, like, 63, something like that. And they're, I mean, like, they're essentially my adoptive parents. But, like, I'm obsessed with them. So, like, you know, like, it's age to me is nothing. You, We can be friends with anyone as long as you're cool and you have an understanding of the world and of where I come from and you're willing to have dialogue and you know build trust and get vulnerable and yeah like and be fun like you know yes I I agree a hundred percent like I'm generally the person at the party just like getting to know a couple people in the corner like let's have a deep conversation same baby i don't really want to talk about the weather like let's get into it because i like your vibe i'm big on energy um i'm a little bit of a hippie love my crystals love love energy work um love but 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 you you know i'm a hippie too and well i feel like we'll, we'll get there tonight but um Back to mental health, I just wanted to sidebar and say that I think my journey with mental health, if it helps you, Joel, it can kind of, like, be distinctly split up into early life, like, childhood through high school, and then I have, like, some development and changes in college, and then post-grad life. Yeah. So, like, early childhood, even though I didn't have the words or tools to describe what I was feeling... I was definitely struggling with anxiety and high functioning mm-hmm. depression. Um, I was able to complete schoolwork, do extracurriculars, like I said, arts, a little bit of sports, student council, community service stuff. Like I could balance everything, keep keep like juggling, but like on the inside, be miserable and be like, I don't belong. What's wrong with me? Having that kind of internal dialogue. Um, so high-functioning depression, um, never struggling with thoughts of suicide at an early age because I was a stubborn motherfucker and just knew that, like, I was going to eventually get out of here. And, again, not to shit on where we grew up. Um, I know that you and I... Oh, have you can shit on it if you, you want. I know. You and I have slightly different... <laughs> <opinions>. um, <laughs> but, uh, but truly that feeling of, like, I'll, I'll get older... I'll be a grown-up, and, like, this will all be, these struggles will be irrelevant. And I really always held on to that, so that got me through. And also the internet, like I said, like, um, Tyler Oakley um, was a big, he still is a YouTuber, content creator, um, 
went to Michigan State at the time and was like an RA, and I would watch his videos because he was openly gay and very popular at the time. Um, I forget yeah, he went to up. Michigan State. Yeah. Yep. And then this is like a deep dive that might not be relevant to anyone, but if it is out there, sh- great. Um, but there was a daily vlogger. He went by Chef, I think, 689. That's a deep cut. But um, he daily vlogs his life as a grad student in Florida <laughs> living with his boyfriend. And, like, I would watch their daily vlogs, and I felt, like, sense of community. And, like, oh, there is Is he still vlogging? Um, they unfortunately split up. Um, oh. But I think, I think he's still on, like, I follow him on, like, Instagram and stuff. Okay, that's and, what uh, I was just going to, I'm going to look him up. Yeah, it was a couple. Their names were Will and RJ. And, like, it was, it could be, like, anything that they were doing that day. Like, just going to Chipotle and, like, making dinner. But, like, I would, I would just watch them and I felt um, not so alone. And, like, there was hope for love and a family and all of that. So, like, that was, that was growing up in small town, Benzie County, working through mental health and, like, and figuring out my own identity, really, as a gay man. Um, and then also just through all of that, I learned to compartmentalize emotions at a very early age, which was my main tool for being self-sufficient or pushing through. Um, just like if you feel something, if you feel something uncomfortable, just push that down, put it in its little box, and we'll deal with that later. So yep. that's a, that's a skill that I learned very early in life, and I'm still working on in therapy. <laughs> I mean, aren't we all? Yep. Oh my gosh, I love it. Ugh. So that was early childhood. Um, so then let's get into like college slash young adult life and yeah. when like things changed for you. Cool, yeah. Um, in college, so I went to school um, in downstate Michigan <coughs> at a little university called Western Michigan University. Go Broncos and Kalamazoo. I'm just giving you all the information because if you ever visit Kalamazoo, it's honestly a lovely city. Um, Lots of great art, music, craft beer, if that's your thing. Um, There are multiple wonderful breweries. Yes, cheers to that, Joel. Cheers. (laughs) Slashing is craft beer. Uh, Yes. Um, But yeah, I went to school downstate. That was really my first taste of life in a city at all. Um, I traveled a bit in high school, but- Is Kalamazoo a city? I like mean, how do you, it's do you class- metrop- It's not a metropolis. How big is it? I'd call it a city, bitch, I don't know- I mean, I would, call, I would call it a city too, but I'm just like, I guess to me it still feels small. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely not bigger than like Traverse City. Like, it's smaller than Traverse City, right? Or similar in size, anyway. Similar, yeah. Like, there's a big downtown area and stuff. Um, but no, it felt, it felt comfortable. It wasn't like I went to school at NYU or anything, right? Um, but that was my first taste of culture, really. Uh, if you don't know, Sisu Squad, Benzie County, where Joel and I are from, is predominantly white, predominantly conservative. Um, a fairly religious area and going to college was my first taste of meeting people that were different 
than, than that. Um, meeting more liberal-minded people, meeting people of color, of different religions, um, literally hearing different languages for the first time, um, which is one of my, my favorite things. Like, I don't know, it's kind of just, I don't know if it's even a quirk, but in New York especially, because um, I'm kind of racially ambiguous, so I would be spoken to in multiple languages throughout the day. And I absolutely love it. Like, I wish I was bilingual. It's really a goal of mine. Um, but I just think language is beautiful and fascinating. And, like, it's so hot to me when someone speaks a different language. Like, literally anything. Oh, I, I know. Person, Say less. Say less, right? So, very that. But I digress. I got to college. And um, I found ways to keep compartmentalizing. I, I was open about my sexuality for the first time. Um, I, I made a promise to myself. I came out to a few people um, in high school, truly like three or four, uh, and then said, once I, got to, once I stepped foot on college campus, like I'm not posting a big Facebook status reveal. Like I think that's a little tacky. I'm not judging people that do it, but my thing was just I'm going to live my truth, and if I'm ever asked something, I'm going to be honest about who I am, who I love, and, like, that's that, um, and what matters to me. So I got to school and immediately was, like, surrounded by people. I lived in the fine arts dorm freshman year, so I was immediately surrounded by, like, this diverse group of people that loved the arts and was right-brained, and, like, I, I felt like I was in this other world and I felt like less of an alien and I felt at home um, I still struggled with anxiety and like some depression I was very very lonely um, even surrounded by people which is something I just struggle with in life um, having a mood disorder I struggle with moments of depression um, some worse than others and uh, getting to college though I really really did find community um the, one of some of the biggest things outside of my programs, I went to school for musical theater, like I said, so I was part of a theater department. Um, so I had commonalities with so many of my peers there. I also joined an acapella group, so pitch perfect, eat your heart out. Yeah, out. what was your acapella group name? Our acapella group name was the WNU Western Michigan University. Broncords, because our mascot. Broncos, Broncos, Broncords. That's cute. Yes, it was an all-male acapella group. Um, those boys to this day are like brothers to me. Um, it was really like a musical fraternity, honestly. Um, more than anything, like we made music together, but we spent time together. We were truly formed a brotherhood. Um, so that was the closest to fraternity that I got in like a musical nerdy way. So if we're getting a picture, honestly, of shape, better, honestly, <laughs> honestly, cause we can all sing. Come on. Who doesn't like that? That's fun. Duh. Um, no, <laughs> as someone who lived in a fraternity house, I'm telling you that, um, it is probably much better to be acapella brothers than fraternity brothers. <laughs> And Lord knows we knew how to party. We had our mixers with, you know, the all-girl acapella group and the co-ed acapella group on campus with our jungle juice. And it was just 
shenanigans. Jungle juice. <laughs> do you think college kids today are still drinking jungle juice, or do you think that was like a millennial thing? If they're not, they're missing out, child. Because if you haven't drank out of like a bucket, I feel like this alive. is just like a college thing. I don't think it's a. Ge- I think this is multi generational. I think I this think is. I think this is passed down, spanned through everywhere. I think it's why they invented Everclear. Whoever invented Everclear can honestly, truthfully fuck right off. (laughs) My liver agrees. (laughs) God. uh... Okay, so, steering back on track. (laughs) Wait, let me open my emotional support candy. I have... I, I love have lifesavers. So. Lifesavers. Your emotional support candy. You're so <laughs> cute. Well, you got me talking about emotions and stuff, Joel. Hey, you asked to do so. <laughs> I'm such a masochist, God. Um, uh, honey, baby child. I work in suicide prevention, host a mental health podcast. Um... <laughs> I am a masochist. <laughs> Love that for us. <laughs> but I say, I honestly say tortured souls are the best souls because they live the most life. So. Oh, for sure. Okay, but back to college, right? So I was in an artistic environment, surrounded by artists, like-minded people, um, Literally in acting classes, learning how to compartmentalize my emotions more efficiently. Um, So I was doing a lot of self-regulating without ever getting outside help. Um, Even reaching out to friends wasn't a big thing that I did at that age. Um, Outside of, like, drunken, crying conversations at a party. Um, Because partying was also um, part of my college experience. And Lord knows that that happened many a time. And it felt super groundbreaking. And, like, honestly, I bonded with a lot of people. But, like, now, at 29 years old, um, luckily, I'm less of a drunk crying mess. (laughs) I mean, hey, baby, what's your knowing? I think I'm not a drunk crying mess anymore either, but... I'm still a disaster when I am drunk. I, I'm getting there. Because moderation is something that I've always had a little bit of a struggle with. Um, so I'm learning my limits, though, in a new way. Just something in general through therapy and over the last few years. Um, I've really been trying to practice mindfulness in like all, all aspects, but also including substance use. Um, like I'm, I really do try to be mindful and thoughtful in what I do, um, which is a new development because before, like I was a big, just a big self-medicator period. Um, if it made me feel better, I was about it. If it made me forget, um, my discomfort for a little bit or made something more tolerable that I didn't want to do, I was about it. Um, so I've really... I guess, grown up a little bit in that way. Um, Some of that through my own choosing and some just through trauma that kind of forces you, kicks you in the ass a little bit, right? Um, So uh, I digress, though, and just because in college, I 
I wouldn't say I was off the rails, but I was a good time. And I I didn't sleep much. I I would pull an all-nighter to pass my class and then go out the same day. Um, not necessarily mindful of my body. Um, I struggled with disordered eating. That was really big, especially I kind of want to – I don't want to take two hours here, but um, I want to talk about um, – studying theater at a collegiate level a little bit and just the theater industry. Um, I kind of want to tie that into this conversation with mental health because for me, they went hand in hand. So if there are any creatives out there or young people that are looking to pursue this industry and career path, um, I think I might have learned a few nuggets in my years uh, that could be useful. If that's cool with you. Um, Go on. Cool. Being a theater student is like being a hamster on a wheel that instead of water, but like, you know, like how they walk on the wheel and then there's like the little water bottle that they can drink out of? Like, instead of water, it was dopamine hits. Okay. Like, at the, because in high school, right, I had to audition to get into my college program so students across america that are looking to go to college to get their bfas bas what have you often have to audition for their program um which beyond having the test scores to get into the university itself if it's a public university and not a conservatory you have to have the grades but then you have to go and actually present an audition so it starts at the very beginning making an impression um doing well and essentially like being talented enough outside of academics to also get into your field of study. Um, it's very much a gamified process. Um, in my opinion, I, I had a great education. I learned so much, but like, I really wish that I had been prepared for post-grad life a little more, which we'll get into because undergrad or college is all about auditioning for like the school shows. Um, you're auditioning for your first professional gigs oftentimes in college um, for like over the summer to work at a professional theater. And it's all of these little dopamine hits. You're in acting class working on your craft and getting feedback from professors and literally have office hours where you can go in and then bitch to your professors if you didn't get cast in the parts you want. like. It's kind of this wild, this creative wild west where you're built up and led to believe that the real world is like this too. And to an extent it is as far as you have to go audition to get a job, but the jobs don't come as frequently as a fall and a spring play. Um, and just... Yes, the whole idea of it is that is it's it's a gamified process. It's continual dopamine hits, which is like a breakthrough I recently had in therapy, is that I was getting all of this feedback and positive feedback, and um, it really like reinforced so many avenues in my brain that like this is what I need, this is who I am, um, this is my worth. Uh, but it, it, it could also be kind of pervasive where, like, one of my struggles is, like, I'm a plus-sized guy. I'm a big guy. 
And um, my weight has fluctuated my whole life. And in school, like, I literally stopped eating because I really wanted a role in a show. And, like, a professor, I'm not going to name names, um, but a professor, like, told me I had tree trunk thighs one day. And that really stuck with me. <laughs> and it was, like, in front of a whole classroom of people. And that's one that's very... That's fucked small, up. That's one very, very small example of, like, what can happen in the confines of a theater department where... I mean, it's also not just theater, though. It's I mean, this stuff happens everywhere. Yeah. And I, I, I guess... But I guess theater, I though, I see where you're coming from, though, like, with the standpoint of you're always on show you're always on scene you know like right. so it's 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 front and center in a way that other sectors and fields of study or career that doesn't happen there's like there's this gray area joel that i think is unique to going to school for the arts specifically where like professors go by their first name um you know your professors on a first name basis there's like a level of access there and a comfortability and like literally in <laughs> classes where we're doing breath work which i really want to talk about for like a millisecond because that's kind of finishing my college experience as far as mental health goes um but like being in classes where people are having these incredibly vulnerable moments sharing stories of abuse and sexual assault just like mental health issues loss so many like deep things and like crying in front of your classmates and professors uh -huh, like, uh -huh. and like in that being and like there's power in that and like those are private moments and like i would never go into details of like some of the things that like my friends have shared in those environments but like that is so palpable and like and sometimes that's weaponized by like peers like shitty people honestly um because like it blows it blows it blows my mind um how manipulative some people can be like i will say also <laughs> there's no study done but like i'd be really curious as far as the world of like acting goes um and like yeah as, as in in the entertainment industry like how much untreated sociopathy is there because i witnessed some like very cold calculating manipulative behavior on top of like real human moments and it's like almost a case study. Like it was just fascinating. I'm shook by this actually because it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Like working in the entertainment world, like I could so see there being a lot of people with some so socio sociopathic tendencies. Um, because you have to always be the best of the best and you have to always put on a mask and a face and you know when especially when you're playing multiple different roles like sometimes I feel like you forget who you are and therefore you forget like what your emotions and feelings and like humility is and like yeah I can so see this happening I think like I mean I can't speak to it because I'm not in that part of the creative world like I'm still I still consider myself a creative like yeah. I work as a social media manager I host a podcast, I'm a writer, I'm a reader. Um, even my work in the advocacy world as an activist, you know, like is a little creative because um, I have to use my voice and I have to use my platform for change. And not that I have to, 
I want to. Like that, I mean, I got into advocacy and activism because I have a ton of privilege and a lot of fire and passion and a lot of stories to share. Um, but yeah, I think creatives just in, um, kind of inherently, if you will, maybe, um, have a little bit of that within them because, you know, they've got to, you just have to navigate a ton of like hoops and therefore like, I can see someone getting worn down and having it just like get to them mentally and like just, you know, changing who they are as a person at the, you know, cognitive level. Yeah. Burnout is very real, especially with the pandemic. Like the pandemic completely froze the theater industry. There were no live performances. Oh yeah. To be had. Like people were doing musicals on TikTok and Zoom and like trying their best to stay creative. Um, I was kind of just in the middle of having a mental health crisis and, like, trying to keep my head above water, which we will dive into here very shortly. Um, but the very last thing about college and just navigating that kind of world um, inside of, like, a conservatory structure um, on top of college is, like, there was this tool called Breathwork that we did. I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar at all. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there are, there are like, pr- practitioners that specialize in this. And it can literally bring, and, like, I hate to literally even bring gender into the picture, but, like, just to paint a picture. Like, through breath work, you can have, like, six-foot-two, burly MMA fighters, like, screaming in agony, not pain, but, like, emotional agony and crying and, like, breaking down. And that's through the breath, um, manipulating the diaphragm. And this is, like, something that I did in college. And it was, like, a huge, um, really memorable moment for me. Um, There were people, yeah, truly, like, just, like, sobbing, breaking down. um, And, like, it really integrated my body in a new way with my emotions. Um, I just wanted to talk about, like, inherited trauma really quick. um, Because it's something I learned about through this process. Um, like, even generationally, like, in our DNA, mm, we inherit mm. trauma from our ancestors. Yeah. Um, we carry it in our body through tension, um, stress, and triggers that aren't necessarily even our own. They're wired into us, which is very fascinating to me, um, especially as a half-black man, um, being a mixed race and learning about, like, generational trauma. Um, I learned about it through, um, through the lens of slavery is how I learned about generational trauma um but then seeing that literally manifest in people's bodies just being touched in a certain area and it would bring up an emotion in them like our bodies are so connected to our feelings it's absolutely truly is an instrument and like i trained in that world like i firmly believe that the body is like an instrument like you're not going to touch my shoulder and like i sing a b flat but i mean like we are fully integrated beings (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and it's just like, it's extremely powerful. And like acupuncture, massage, there are things that are a little like beyond me. Energy work, Reiki, I find fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, All of it, honestly. Class. Yeah, I had an acting class where um, acting five, uh, the last one before I graduated, with mm-hmm. the department mm-hmm. here of our program. And we were literally all blindfolded and tasked with um, 
stealing each other's energy and like trying to move together and like wow i love that like being that tied to each other because we had familiarity over the four years of like being in class together and like it really opened my eyes to that world um of, of energy spirituality and tying that in with my artistry and regulating my emotions um but yeah and that and that's really also college is where i was introduced to kind of letting go of organized religion because i grew up in the church like i said and embracing spirituality and my relationship to a higher power um or really just like yeah the energy of the universe the knowing what we don't know um all of that which is a lovely segue because i feel like it's just relevant um before we dive into post-grad life um oh, wow. the little alien aquarius in me would <laughs> if you if, if you would uh treat me to like maybe just like a three card spread just to just to test the water see where we're at right now Oh my gosh, okay. A three-card spread, huh? You want a three-card spread. So everyone, um, Chase texted me before we recorded, and he was like, um, can I ask you to read, um, like, give me a tarot reading? And of course I was like, okay, sure. Um, so uh, forewarning, I've never done this virtually before, but... Um, I still do very much so get into tarot and like buy into all of this hippie dippy bullshit. Um, I freaking love it. So <clears throat> tarot, astrology, all of that jazz. I'm like, you know, sign me up. You and your crystals, me and my, it's the best. Reiki, breathwork, all of that stuff. Like oh. I'm all into it. Yes, we are connected. What's your sign? Remind me, babe. Um, I am an Aries sun, an Aquarius moon, and a Cancer rising as my big three. But I can give you my whole chart if you want. Yeah, send it to me. Um, are you on CoStar or Chani or The Pattern or any of these apps? Yeah, I'm on CoStar. Okay. Yeah. I am an Aquarius sun, Pisces moon, Virgo rising. Oh, girl, you got all of the emotions. I'm pretty, I'm pretty well balanced, I think. I'm not completely emotionally unavailable, you know, like some Aquarius. I mean... <laughs> not gonna name names. Not gonna name names. Why do I feel like that was targeted? Never. At me? No! Oh. No, I honestly, I honestly love Aquarius. Um... I love my fire boys, fire signs, Sages. Aries or Aquarius? Aquarius is an air sign. I was just gonna say, well, you said fire. I like fi like other people. Like I like, I like fire signs. Oh 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 oh! But you said you liked Aquariuses, and I was like, I Aquarius, well. yeah. Aquariuses are airs, air signs. Yep. Anyway, okay, we're on the same page. <laughs> okay. I have three cards. I have three cards. Um, while you were speaking, I was like using your energy to like guide which cards to pull. So the first one that I have um, 
yeah, I just, I, like, I just, you know, felt a card, felt a card, felt a card, you know, as you were speaking, and those are the three that we've got. So we'll start my left, go to your, to my right, your opposite, um, and so we'll do the three card, past, present, future. Perfect. Are you ready? Let's do it. Okay, so your first card. Pulling out my handy dandy book. So your first card is the Five of Pentacles. It represents sadness, worry, and illness. So this is your past. Um, and the reading for it says, the Five of Pentacles is a card of hard times. It may come in the form of an illness, job loss, financial trouble, or rejection. Above all this, there Oh, above all of this, there will be worry. So much worry. This anxiety is counterproductive and damaging. You must find a way to quiet the mind during this difficult time. Rely on meditation or visual visualization to find peace. Yes. As we know, baby Chase was an anxious bitch. I mean, aren't we all? Okay, your second card is the Four of Cups. So the Four of Cups. Oh, let me show you the cards so you will see oh, yeah, them, yeah. what they're what they're looking like. Sisu Squad doesn't get to see them, but you do. It's a rose. Ooh, okay. Okay, Four of Cups represents greed and discontent. So if we had your past, we're now in your present. If this is how you want to interpret them. I guess I didn't ask how you wanted me to in interpret the cards. I usually, when I do a three-card spread, I usually interpret them as past, present, future. But if you don't want to interpret them this way, you interpret them however you want to interpret them. Yeah, no, give me the reading and like I'll see what hits and what's there. Okay, okay. So Four of Cups represents greed and discontentment. And the reading says, an outsider would look upon your life and see supportive relationships, pleasures, and even a bit of luxury. But you don't see it that way. Instead, there's discontentment, apathy, and even greed for more. The Four of Cups warns not to take your situation for granted or the people who supported you along the way. Look around you. What are you truly longing for? Now name it. I love that. Call me out, Tarot. This is why I love this stuff. Okay. Oh. Oh. Um, we are going back to the pentacles for this one. Um. flipping through all of my pages because I haven't used this book in so long. They're like stiff. Okay, so this card is the devil. Um, I'm not scared of the devil card. Okay, good. Um, okay, here we are. It represents addiction and negativity. 
Though it may feel frightening when the devil appears in your reading, this card carries an urgent message and must be interpreted with total honesty. The darkness of the devil card takes the form of addiction, negativity, and materialism. It can indicate an ugly relationship with a person or substance. Identify this dependency and how it's holding you back. The devil's hooves, hooves, hooves are strong and relentless. Their grip will not loosen unless a conscious change is made. How will you free yourself, Chase? Okay, so that, it sounds scary, but like in all of my experience with having readings, the devil is generally a change in a positive direction. Usually, yes. Yes. So... It is optimistic, folks. Don't be scared. I'm good. Um, <laughs> but that reading, it resonates because I did really struggle. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful ghost devil. Um, he just showed me the card. But it resonates because I struggled with anxiety very early on. Um, that was what pre presented itself most with me. Uh -huh. And I think presently... <laughs> having gone through the trauma of the last three years, which we're about to dive into, um, I really have such an incredible support system that I don't always name and give credit to. So if you would indulge me, I would love to um, just shout out a couple people that have been my rocks. Yeah, go for it. We love an acknowledgement. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important. So universe, thank you for the reminder. Um, First and foremost, my family. So something uh, a lot of you, most of you don't know about me, um, now that I've relocated back home in Michigan for the time being, um, I literally live on a road with family members. The road that I live on used to be my last name. Um, the road name was my family's last name um, up until about like a few years ago, right around when I was born. They changed it, the town people. Only a few years ago. Just a few years ago. I'm just a baby. Um, um, baby. <laughs> but, uh, so I literally live on a road with aunts, uncles, first cousins, second cousins, family friends. Everyone knows everyone. Like, I can walk down the road, down the two track for family dinner. Um, after having mental health struggles over the pandemic, I came home to the support system that really I left at 18 um, because I wanted nothing more than to get away from the farm and to experience the world. And there are times since I've come home, and I feel like when you came home, Joel, not to speak for you, but maybe felt similarly um, just resentful for your circumstances at the time, um, that's, something that I, that's something that I felt just being plopped back in your childhood home after years of self-sufficiency it is not easy <laughs> but at the end of the day i am so beyond grateful for my family for being my rocks for not ever judging me and for only loving me because they've really helped um secondly my roommates in new york because we're about to switch to new york folks in because in the chronological order of my life like that's when shit goes down for me as far as mental health and actually getting diagnoses, right? Um, I had some stellar, stellar roommates in New York that helped me out when shit went down for me. Um, Andrea, Britt, 
Keely. Um, we don't talk anymore. I traumatized that poor girl, but um, nothing but love. <laughs> We're still Facebook friends. So if you ever hear this, Keely, I love you, girl. Um, and then last but not least, um, there are so many more I can name. Y'all know who you are. Um, <laughs> especially if I text or call you because I'm terrible at texting and calling. Um, so if you're in the contacts, <laughs> I got you, boo. But I really want <laughs> to shout out my best friend from college, um, Matt, who just asked me to be his groomsman in his wedding this fall. But um, he, this last time when I moved back to Michigan, I was unable to pack up my apartment or anything. And he drove my belongings back to Michigan for me. Oh my gosh. Like a true blue friend. Um, Shout out to my other roommates that did that as well, because through the course of my New York experience, that's not the only time that I had to leave abruptly and unexpectedly um, for my mental health check. So I am very lucky. And then also one more uh, Bendy County resident, actually, that I'm so in uh, touch with is Nathan. So Nathan Hale, if you listen to this, um, you are my brother from another mother. And I'm so grateful to you for sticking around uh, and putting up with my crazy ass. Oh my gosh, beauty <laughs> So those are just like my little shout outs. I wanted to take this little detour. Um, thank you for the reading, Joel. Um, of course. I hope I did it justice. Yeah. And I hope, I really do hope that the devil means positive change at the end of the day, because. Um, I mean, I think so. I, I really do. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the future and some things need to change for me to get where I want to go. Um, I still want to get back on track, uh, relocate to a city and do the damn thing. But it's been a lot of healing. Do you think you'll go back to New York City or just a city in general? I still don't know. I I genuinely don't. I miss New York like crazy. And I have so many friends there that I've met through performing, through school, and then just living in the city. Because I was there for almost four years. Um, like mm-hmm. I really feel like I have a tribe there. And I miss them all. So i don't know i've thought i've flirted with chicago i've thought about going back to new york we're really just gonna stay tuned folks hey i'll give a shout out um on social media when you make your next move and then yeah everyone will know thank you yeah i'm I'm i try to do like right now so there's a couple yeah i try to do like updates um with like whenever my guests like do something cool or fun like I try to do or like on their birthday like I try to do like little updates like in case you missed it here's what Chase is up to go listen to our fun episode oh yeah I love that perfect yeah I'm uh I'm really open to possibilities and like I said I am auditioning for projects um that are leading me back to the city um so We'll see. Right now, I am still working on healing. Um, I'm in a good place medication-wise, which we'll dig into a little bit more. Um, And really doing a lot of work in therapy still, uh, which has felt really productive and good for me. So I'm working on the soul so so the foundation is strong before I go back into the lion's den that is New York City or any metropolis Mm. area. 
<laughs> in, in in the entertainment industry especially. So yeah, yeah, I'm really I'm really still getting grounded in like being in nature and finding my music and what I my right. message and what I want to say and like I'm still in that incubation process, but it's really been fulfilling and exciting and crucial because I don't think I would be here today without having that support system and that ability to come back home and ground myself. Um which I th- I want to I want to also speak about like just super quick and then we can get into New York is um like being 29 and living at home on paper like isn't the cutest thing to me and I struggle with that stigma but I know that there are so many people especially post pandemic in the same boat and I want you to know you're not alone you're not a failure you have accomplished so much you will accomplish so much more and like it's a detour. It's a moment. And if it's not, fierce. Good for you. Like, I I want to scream it from the mountaintops because, like, I felt so much shame in having to come home and work on medicine and my mental health. And it's something that, like, I never thought would happen to me. And it, it did. And it really did ground me. So, like, I just have so mm-hmm. much empathy for anyone out there feeling like they're suffering in silence or feeling like they maybe, like, need to change locations or remove themselves from a harmful situation just know that you absolutely can do that and if you don't have a support system i'll leave my instagram at the end of this i'm sure joel like reach out to someone reach out to me i got a spare room like i got you boo because like you're not alone um and i feel very fortunate that like i had a landing pad because i really with my situation and if it were a different <laughs> in my situation if it were a different situation slightly i could be homeless i could be on the street and like i had somewhere to go mm-hmm. so with that mm-hmm. and with the reading and tying it together like thank you family chosen and biological thank you to my tribe thank you cute love Okay, so let's shift into uh, post-grad and New York City and your diagnoses and where you're at today. Um, I know we're over the hour mark at this point, but um, I still want to, like, honor your story and honor that time. Um, And so, yeah, let's jump into that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, So quickly, New York... um, was a lot for a farm boy. I I always knew that I wanted to live there um, from the jump. Like, that was my spot. And I loved it. Like, there's very clearly a pre-pandemic New York and post-pandemic New York. Yes. For me, for most New Yorkers. Um, so, like, 2017 through 2019, I struggled with anxiety, high-functioning depression, all of that. But, like, the biggest thing that changed was the lack of dopamine hits after graduating school. Mm. So, like, going back to the the gamifying of theater education. Um, Jobs were farther between. I was booking things, but then I would go six months, seven months, eight months, not doing anything, working in retail, walking dogs, like, I'm a multi-hyphenate. If it was a day job to pay the rent, I did it, girl. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I love that. Just, I mean, I have three jobs currently, so. 
it, hustling and like you do what you have to do to like pursue your dreams and I was doing it and it was exhausting and trying but I I did have my tribe of people and I got really good at reaching out to people and that took effort that did not come naturally to me as a compartmentalizer that like handled his issues by talking to himself in front of a mirror like an absolute lunatic um but I know someone out there resonates with that because it's that's something that I've done from an early age. Um, like, therapizing myself a little bit. But, uh, so, like, reaching out to other people always felt foreign to me. But I, I had this group, and I still do, group of really great friends that I felt comfortable reaching out to when I was struggling. And they'd be like, you know what, let's go see a movie. Let's go, let's make, come over to my place, go make dinner. Um, and that was the first time in my adult life that I really had chosen family like that um cute yeah so it was really powerful when like meanwhile my psyche in the back of my mind is wondering am i talented enough am i too fat can i do this how am i gonna pay rent the things that come with living in a big city and supporting yourself right um so just like i would say two years into living in the city i was really down in the dumps um i had just finished a performance gig and nothing was on the horizon. I went back to walking dogs, got bit in the face by a dog on my 24th birthday. Um, oh my God. I was like, it's my day off from my from my day job at this like gift shop I was working at. Um, I'm gonna just like walk a dog because I love animals and uh, that'll be it. And then like, I'll go hang out with friends that night. <laughs> the dog bit me in the face, went to the urgent care instead, two urgent cares. Um, <laughs> And, like, that's how I spent my birthday. I'm like, this is hot garbage. So I was super depressed. And one of my jobs in the city was I worked at Broadway shows and Radio City Music Hall and the New York City Ballet um, selling merchandise for the shows. And a huge perk for me was I got to watch the performances for free. So, like... Nice. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've seen probably, I don't know, like... 50 Broadway shows for, like, for free, which is amazing, because it's expensive, and that's another, that's another tangent about the accessibility of Broadway for everyday people. Um, Ticket prices are still a little unreasonable. So expensive. It's not a Beyonce concert expensive, but it's still expensive, folks. So, um, so that was one of my jobs, and I was working at this booth at Hello Dolly, the musical, with Bernadette Peters, for any Broadway fans out there. She was performing at the time, uh, and she was playing Dolly. And another Broadway star came to my booth before the show started, um, named Lilius White. Lilius White, uh, you folks would know her um, as one of the lead muses in Hercules. Like, who puts the glad in gladiator? Hercules. Um, she she's she sang that song amongst others and has been in multiple Broadway shows. And oh my gosh. She actually um, came to my college and did a master class and worked with the graduating seniors. Wow. Like, we weren't besties or anything, but she is she's a Broadway legend. She's in Hades Town right now, um, on Broadway. And she was at my booth and we were just kinda like making small talk and I like I told her how she, like, maybe definitely didn't know me, but that's how. 
um, <laughs> from <laughs> Western. And she was the sweetest. She gave me like a big hug and was like, how are you doing, honey? And I'm like really depressed, actually. With like a smile on my face and kind of like laughing it off. Of course, because that's how we do. We yeah. always say, oh, I'm not feeling my best with the brightest smile. Exactly. And that's me to a T. Like, smile on my face, jovial, teddy bear. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, but, same, baby. But she, like, called me out of my shit. She immediately was like, oh, like, looked concerned. And it's like, you know what's okay to tell somebody, right? And, like, that's the first time in my life, really, that I've been, like, out loud to someone, like, I'm depressed. Um. And, like, that same night I went home and I told my roommate, um, we were smoking on the, on the roof of our apartment, and I was like, I'm really struggling with depression. And I love a rooftop, like, <laughs> the best. And uh, they just, like, hugged me and were there for me, and it was the first time I had an open dialogue about my mental health. Then the pandemic hit, and my roommate... Um, went home because with the pandemic everyone in New York City and Los Angeles like the big hub cities were hit with corona first um, yep. legislation kind of started happening uh, and a lot of us were laid off so I was one of those people the idea was we were going to be laid off for like three weeks to a month and then everyone uh-huh. would be back to work that was, that was the talk on the coast so that was the vibe in New York um, both of my roommates went home to be with their families, kind of just thinking like a cute little mini vacay. Um, cute little mini vacay that turned into three years and still running. Right. Um, and I was left in the apartment by myself, really, for <laughs> the only time <laughs> ever. Um, when that happened, getting into just the nitty gritty, let's do it. So. The vibe in New York, like I said, was that everyone was going to go home for a few weeks, um, then we'd be back to work, like, once this little Rona thing was over. Both of my roommates were gone, and I had my first manic episode. So, my diagnosis, diagnoses, (laughs) are generalized anxiety disorder, PTSD, and bipolar 1, specifically. Um, bipolar disorder. Now, I just want to give like a little spark notes version for um, some of you that might not be familiar, but bipolar disorder is one of the earliest recognized mental illnesses um, mm-hmm. in our history. Like since the 1800s, if not earlier, um, it was known as manic depression. It's now known as bipolar disorder, but it exhibits itself <coughs> as severe mood swings. Um, beyond the norm so this manifests as mania being the highs and deep depression being the lows there's also um, rapid cycling so some people experience symptoms from both ends of the spectrum at one time which can be super chaotic and there's also something called hypomania which is before right before mania um, it's like a heightened sense of self but not full-blown mania. Uh, when it comes to bipolar one, my disorder, I feel like there's a lot of stigma and misinformation surrounding mania, or that's like more of the enigma, uh, the feeling, the the symptoms. Um, are you familiar at all, Joel? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. 
So when I was manic, I experienced boundless energy. Um, when it happened, it was kind of like it slowly crept in. Uh, I was feeling a. Uh, this was at age 25 for me. Um, studies now are showing that bipolar manifests itself um, in adolescence. It can be in adolescence, starting at age 12. On the early end, this is like the newest studies showing this. Um, but before that, they were thinking the median age was closer to 20 and 25 at the higher end. So for me, it manifested at 25, um, fashionably late, per usual. <laughs> and uh, I had a manic episode. So extremely energetic. Um, for a lot of people that experience mania, they describe it as a spiritual awakening. Um, I felt very tied to spirituality, um, to signs and synchronicities that could be in wildlife, in music, seeing two birds fly by my window, um, and seeing, I mean, numer if you want to talk spirituality, numerology, angel numbers, seeing 1111, um, seeing like nothing but green lights down the street. Things that really are a coincidence, but to a manic mind, is nothing but confirmation to your own biases and delusions. Um, with that delusion, I say that because I had a grandiose sense of self. Um, when you're manic, you truly think, I mean, if, I can only speak for myself, but in that grandiosity and what doctors talk about, like, you can't be told anything aside from your reality. For some people, it's not a full psychotic break, but for me, like, on wellness checks that my boyfriend at the time was calling in for me, I was snapping my fingers at police officers in my home. Like, oh, wow. Telling them what to do. And, <laughs> like, truly. So, so grandiose sense of self, not, um, not really recognizing authoritative figures because you are the main authority. Um, feeling a closeness to God, the universe, what have you. Um, pressured speech, talking a mile a minute. Um, there was a time, lack of sleep. So like I would go days without sleeping. And then if I would sleep, I struggled with insomnia, but I could only sleep for an hour or two at a time. Um, with that, um, cracks begin to show, right? So I would go on super long walks, listening to music, just resonating with every lyric that I heard, feeling like a live wire, feeling like everything was an epiphany. And it all sounds kind of magical and wonderful and like heightened. And the biggest thing that like, I was never scared um, in those moments, but like with that came reckless behavior. So hypersexuality, um, impulsive spending or impulsive, um, yeah, just impulsivity in general. But for me that manifested as spending, which is very common amongst people with bipolar disorder. Um, so that was all happening. Like I said, really long walks, um, just trying to connect with nature, the people around me. Um, and if anyone has seen the movie Limitless with Bradley Cooper, a bit of a deep cut. I don't know if you've seen it, Joel. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not a big movie person, I'm so. Not a, not a movie buff, but the whole, the whole census of that movie is uh, he 
finds this drug or steals a drug that unlocks a hundred percent of your brain. Like the theory is that I can't remember. I haven't like watched a movie in a while, but the theory is like we only use like twelve percent of our brain or something. And this pill in the movie unlocked a hundred percent. So he takes it and has like instant recall of like deep rooted memories that he didn't even know he had. He was super analytical of like things that he saw, like a book in this person's bag um, that he remembered from like two years ago. So he knew this chick was a lawyer. Like my brain was firing on those cylinders, like a hundred percent. Very like looking into signs, symbols, picking up information nonstop. And there was no way to really shut it off. Um, That's mania. And that can be scary. Like there there was a time I remember I was just speaking in verse. So like Shakespeare, not Shakespeare, but like everything rhymed was like a couplet. Like Sabrina the Teenage Witch is shook because like I don't know if I was casting spells or what, but like every like everything was a rhyme. So like Eminem could never do what I was doing because my brain was just like firing that quickly. <laughs> that like that's that's that was one example of the mania, the pressured speech, talking a million miles a minute, which on the outside can be like super scary. But that's what was happening to me. Um, I went to the hospital and they thought that I had taken psychedelics because I was just like all over the place. I was truly singing in the streets, in the ambulance. Um, I, you can't make I it up. I love it. I love and I, it. I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't shared this, but like I'm owning it because like it, it happened. Um, but like I, I was singing as a way to cope because looking back and going through therapy, like I didn't know what was happening to me. I knew something was off. I was rearranging my apartment very methodically, but like in a very messy way, essentially trashing it. But everything made sense to me and my energy. I was very, very self-centric. Like the outside world did not exist because I had all of the answers. So rearranging my apartment, um, talking a million miles a minute, not sleeping. Um, so I was finally hospitalized and like putting on a show for the people working there. And it's actually kind of funny because, so like they didn't diagnose me initially and they were thanking me on the way out the door. Cause this is the height of COVID in New York city at the very beginning in 2020, when they were running out of hospital beds and these skyscrapers of hospitals. And like, I was singing like somewhere over the rainbow for everyone. And like, they're clapping. Like it was a surreal <laughs> experience, but like a way for me to cope with the trauma of like also seeing people on vents and stuff and like me not knowing why I was at the hospital and like there was a disconnect there. And like, I just remember feeling so up, but then also confused and like sedated at times. So yeah, they didn't even diagnose me, sent me home. I was still manic. The first manic episode generally is the strongest for bipolar people or for people with bipolar disorder, I should rephrase. Um, And so I was sent home. Nothing got better, obviously. Uh, I ended up in the hospital again where I finally got a diagnosis. Um, But then with that comes adhering to medicine. And I was still manic enough by the time I was discharged that I didn't understand my diagnosis. Um, Things were pretty hectic still. So everything was over telehealth because of COVID. So Mm. they're like, we'll call you in two to three weeks. 
set you up with like a therapist. Meanwhile, I'm not taking my meds because I'm still manic. So like super chaotic. Um, and finally, after another hospitalization, um, <laughs> where I also got COVID. So like such a messy time because I was I was in COVID units getting treated and then transferred to a psych unit where I finally got my diagnosis, finally was being treated, um, and I stayed there for a couple of weeks. Um, that is a whole podcast in itself, actually being inpatient and experiencing that world. Um, but I was treated and discharged um, with meds that I adhered to. Um, they were... Archaic isn't the right word, but I was diagnosed, or I was prescribed, rather, um, some very old, well-studied meds that are very hard on the body. So I was having to get regular blood tests done to check blood toxicity, um, because in the wrong doses, these med meds can kill you. Um, I didn't, I felt like a fraction of myself, because I went from this mania, this euphoria, uh really just the brain firing on all cylinders to a huge rebound depression um and like bipolar depression there's there's depression and like there's bipolar depression i would argue um especially folks that struggle with bipolar 2 uh they don't experience mania like i do they just really struggle with the depression side of things but that can it's like it's more than sadness it's depressed moods excessive sleeping like nothing is fun the world was joyless like mm -hmm, if i'm to paint a mm -hmm. picture like i got home on these new meds and everything was in black and white like i couldn't feel joy even at family events surrounded by people that like my family was concerned for me because like i was so apathetic um i had terrible insomnia so i i even i wasn't manic anymore but i still couldn't sleep i i had akathisia I believe that's how you pronounce it, um, from my meds that I was on at the time, which is severe restlessness. Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't get comfortable. I felt like I was tingling all over. Like, I, I truly just couldn't sleep. It was, it was the most miserable, probably, like, five to six months I ever experienced. I wow. started with suicidal ideation, everything. And this is me being plucked from New York at the height of the pandemic, given a bipolar diagnosis and PTSD and generalized anxiety and dropped back home in Michigan. That's a lot to process. That's a lot to deal with. with without in-person help. Everything was telehealth. So navigating all of that. Um, I'm very fortunate, like I said earlier, for my landing pad that I had somewhere to land to heal. Um, but it was extremely traumatic, like I said, in and out of hospitals, in and out of psych wards, um, and I'm still kind of unpacking it to this day. Um, but it was, a, <laughs> it was such a wild trip, but I'm happy to report at the end of the day, now in 2023, um, I'm working with a therapist. I, I have been for the last few years now. Um, I found a medicine med regimen that works for me, um, for folks with bipolar disorder generally um as far as meds go the treatment is a mood stabilizer and for some folks an antipsychotic um 
antipsychotic sounds very scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and like there's a lot of stigma there, but it's truly one of the best like mood stabilizers. Not everyone stays on it long term, um, but to come down from mania to to kind of bring in that grounding effect, uh, that is something that is used. Um, I want to also just really quickly clarify there's a difference between bipolar disorder which even in those moments of grandiosity you can have lapses of reality really you can be delusional that, that's a better word um but it's not the same thing as schizophrenia or paranoid schizophrenia but they are kind of on a sliding scale together right like as far as mood disorders go um but there are distinct differences i'm not a specialist on schizophrenia um but I have done a lot of work in finding communities um, and learning about bipolar because I want to be as informed as possible and I want to be able to share knowledge. Um, but like I said, for me, I'm finally in a place where I feel like my moods are managed. Um, my, my main manic episode, I've relapsed once um, because I stopped taking meds completely in 2021 um, because the first meds I was on, I felt like a complete zombie, and so, so detached, just from joy. And I'm one of the most joyful people, I try to be at least, I try to spread joy and love, and I couldn't feel it. And it was so unsettling to me. I was like, I just know I can't be on this, this isn't worth it. So I was off meds for seven months, and relatively stable. And then I moved back to New York, off of meds. And that was, there was enough stress over the course of the four months that I was there um, that I that I did, I, I treaded through hypomania and then into full-blown mania, um, reckless spending, um, wild spending. Um, so I had, to, I had to go in one last time uh, to get meds right. One last little statistic I want to share for people that aren't familiar with bipolar disorder, but the average person that struggles with the disorder goes through six to seven medicine trials before they find their right doses and prescriptions. Well, because bipolar is so deeply personal. It's, I mean, it's chemical the same way that most mental illnesses are. But it's so, it's experienced so personally and it is so relative to the person and their experiences. And so that's why it takes so many times, you know? 100%. And it takes patience, boundless patience. I dealt with side effects, weight gain, fatigue like I've never known before, um, suicidal ideation from pills. Like, you think your depression's good, then you try a new pill, and all of a sudden, like, we're not so good anymore. Yep. Beyond frustrating, and it's a slow process. You can't just quit the meds you're on and try two new ones. You have to titrate or dwindle them down in your system before you can start a new medicine. Mm -hmm. So this takes months, and working with, with a psychiatrist and being honest about how you're feeling and really dialing in and, like, being self aware, and, like, I've said, like, practicing mindfulness. And being aware of my moods and trying to stay ahead of them 
or at least be cognizant enough to communicate if I feel like I need if if I need something else, right? So like there's this whole new world of like self-awareness that I've had to learn um and navigate, but like I'm so happy to like announce that I feel like I'm on the other side of it finally because it was such a long journey and like that's not talked about and like adhering to your meds which mm-hmm. I believe and just being diligent and you know yes. really then, like yeah. taking the time to make it happen for you is so critical and and I will say also there's a subset of people with bipolar disorder that um do succeed without medication about 20 to 25% on the high end. Um, there is a subset. Uh, studies are still out if if that means like they have um, really strong support networks that kind of mitigate environmental influence because there are genetic markers for bipolar disorder as well as environmental influences can trigger it. In my mm-hmm. case, that's what, that's what happened for me. Um, there were multiple environmental stressors from a death in the family, loss of a job, um, lots lots of things that happened within two months, as well as physical illness. Um, like, severe, I was in the ER with a stomach flu that lasted two and a half weeks. So, like, truly a perfect storm for me. Um, but it manifests in so many ways. It's it, There's no one-size-fits-all treatment. Um, but it takes communication and diligence, like you said. Um, but I do want to end on a positive note, because something that I have found, and I'm really tying myself to, um, is that, like, I'm not broken. I'm not broken for having bipolar disorder. Um, I'm a multifaceted, like, very capable, very artistic person. And there are so many artists, actually, that do, or that we believe in the past had bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. Um one of the most prominent being Beethoven himself, they believe had bipolar disorder. Um, it's a way that our brain works, like when we're when we're regulated. Um, for me, I kind of like being a little hypomanic. Um, that's just a little lifted and creative um, without being just like off the deep end or like I say, lost in the sauce. So like, just like lost in spirituality lost mm-hmm. in the guidance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's 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 a level below that where you're heightened and connected and you But not like inundated in it. Not lost in it, truly. So like the outside of the box thinking. Like I think outside of the box. I can I can come to a conclusion I can come to the same conclusion as you, but through a through a vastly different path, right? Just the way that my brain is wired. I see like when I'm hypomanic, I see the connection in small things. It's almost like it's almost like the blueprint of the universe without like sounding too woo-woo. Um, that's how it that's how it feels though. It's like a deep understanding and an empathy. That's what I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've developed such a sense of empathy through my own suffering and struggles that like I feel deeply. And like that used to be something I was scared of, but now it really is a it's a it's a gift and that's it's something so many artists with my disorder share in common um so like when you're regulated and you're regulating your moods and you're reaching out to people that you care about and you're doing all the things like you really can lead, you can lead a successful life 
And that's the biggest thing I'm trying to stress. Um, because, like, I don't identify as someone with a disability. Bipolar disorder is classified as a disability. I refuse to be a statistic person. Oh. Um, I've spent my whole life with labels. And, like, I'll be damned if this is the one that's going to have me not live my dreams. Okay? I love it. I feel like that was the perfect way to end and a perfect segue into the closing question of the show, which is, Chase, what does the word sisu mean to you as it relates to your own mental health journey? And if you are tuning in for the first time or because it's been so goddamn long since I've had an episode, if you are listening and you don't know what the word sisu means, Um, It is a Finnish term that translates loosely to English as guts, determination, resilience, strength, grit, kind of um, an all-encompassing theme rather than like a word or feeling, if you will. Um, But yeah, so Chase, what uh, does Sissu mean to you right now in this very moment as we're speaking? And I've, I've premeditated this before, but my answer has changed again. Obviously. Every, every day, it's a little different. Today, Sisu means versatility. Ooh. Love. I think folks like us that struggle with mental illness are versatile as resilient Hell yeah, we are. and resilient as fuck. Pardon my French. I took a semester. Oh, I'm out of control. But versati- <laughs> versatility because we've spent our whole lives thinking what is normal? Am I normal? How can I assimilate myself to be palatable for normies, if you will? That's what I call anyone that's signed to astrology too, just <laughs> um, but, but we I love that. We're, you have to be versatile. You have to be flexible and listen and take on other people's, not take on other people's opinions, but like listen to them, be open to them, be ever evolving. Because that kind of resilience is what keeps me, has kept me alive. Mm-hmm. I mean, truly. And that level of flexibility, like, keep bending so you don't break. But don't let people walk all over you. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> do, you, do you get what I'm, do you get what I'm saying? Yes, yes, I, I absolutely do. Good. I love that. Oh, that was such a good answer. My favorite question. Um, okay, well, I think that wraps things up. Thank you so much for sharing your story and getting deep and getting vulnerable and just, you know, sharing some love and light and positivity today. Uh, if anyone resonated with your story, if anyone wants to connect with you because you are such a cool person and you have so many wild experiences that, of course, everyone should want to connect with you, where can they find you? Thank you. I could write a book. I still might, honestly. I think you should. <laughs> it's on the it's on the 2023 bingo card, so we'll see. 
Um, but you can find me. The easiest place would be Instagram um, at hi chase gray, C H A S E, like the bank, G R A Y, hi chase gray. Um, and I would love to connect with you. Uh, if you have a, if you have bipolar disorder, if you don't, because again, uh, I'm a multifaceted person with a lot of interests. So like, let's connect on something. It doesn't have to be about even theater, bipolar, queerness, being mixed race, um, being that you have seen a bajillion and one Broadway shows, uh, astrology, tarot, etc. Yes, astrology, tarot. I love video games. I'm a bit of a nerd. I love music. I love hanging out with friends, art, all of the things. And even a little bit of sports, Joel. I know you kind of, you, uh, you kind of, you, you painted me as an anti-sportsman, but I love live sports specifically. So if you want to catch a game, I got you. Let's go. Yes. Uh, amazing. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Chase. I so appreciate it. I appreciate you. And I'm just beyond grateful that we've reconnected and beyond grateful that you wanted to share your story with uh, the Scissor Squad. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And I just want to reiterate one last time um, that if you're feeling alone or isolated, please, please, please reach out. Um, either to Joel, I'm going to throw you in there, Joel, because I know you wouldn't mind. So Joel, oh, I love it. For myself, because I, especially through this experience, I spent a lot of time feeling isolated and alone, and like I was suffering in silence. And um, I let stigma get the better of me for a solid year. Um, and like, don't waste the time, baby, because you're beautiful and you're not broken and you deserve to be loved. And just remember that, okay? Drop that mic. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you find your podcasts. It's All in My Head is a member of the Not Today Media Network. You can find us on Twitter at Not Today Network. Make sure that you're following along with me on social media. I can be found on Twitter at All in My Head Show and on Instagram at It's All in My Head Show. Until next time, stay well.